In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Often when I meet people for the first time and they uh, hear that I'm the rector of the Church of the Holy Trinity, they ask me a question and I get a little bit tongue-tied. People will often ask me something along the course of how big is your congregation? Uh, The other night I was at a dinner and on one side of me was a wonderful Muslim woman who had gone to Georgetown University and so she's partial to Jesuits and she occasionally goes to Roman Catholic churches. So I knew that when she asked me, how big is your church, she was coming from that perspective. The woman on my right is a lo- was a longtime member of the Church of the Heavenly Rest, a massive congregation up on Fifth Avenue. So she had her own context. I get tongue-tied not because I want to inflate our numbers, I suppose it would be nice to say I have 6,000 members and an average Sunday attendance of 4,000 or something. Um, But because I want to answer the question honestly. Usually I say that our average Sunday attendance with the three services combined is about 125, depending on the season. But that only begins to talk about who we are and how big our church is. Um, Do I answer that we have just under 700 on the church rolls, that just under 700 of people whose baptism we have on record and who at one point or another have been known to the church treasurer? That's the old euphemism for supporting the church in one way or another. Is the person known to the church treasurer? The church treasurer will be looking for new friends in the next few weeks, by the way. Do we say that big number, 700 or so, or the 125 over a Sunday? But what about all the other people who come and go from our building during the week? What about the probably 75 or 100 who participate in 12-step recovery groups and are eagerly seeking and finding a higher power What about the 80 or more every week who come to the community supper? What about the 40 or 50 older adults who come every Tuesday? What about all the others, probably another 100 or so at least, who participate in the free programs of health advocates for older people, who come and go and experience something of God's mercy, something of God's love, something of God's presence, That's not even going into the choral groups who rehearse in our space, the people who use the garden, the people who come into contact with this building and its employees and its inhabitants in other ways. Today's gospel is asking questions of us, I think. Um, Who is religious and who is not? How do we name those who, who we can identify as religious? And, and who else might be included in that? In the gospel, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees in, in contemporary terms about the difference in being religious and in being spiritual, I think. The two aren't mutually exclusive, though they can be. The trick for most of us is to combine the two in a way that suits us and honors God. 
The Pharisees often get a bad name in the scriptures. The Pharisees were that particular group of religious people who were extremely concerned with following the law of God, but most were faithful Jews. Most were probably like us. They did the best they could. They followed the teachings as they understood them from God, and they were good people. But a few took this too far and ended up coming up with something empty. They were living about appearances. They were concerned about how they looked to other people and what people thought about them. They worried about how they sounded as they spoke to one another in particular ways and with particular prayers. They worried most about how they were seen by others. They were concerned about social standing and added a religious layer to this. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, preaching and teaching and healing, some of these Pharisees were curious, but others felt threatened. And so those who feel threatened try to lure Jesus into a conversation about authority. By what authority do you teach, they ask him. What school did you go to? Who did you study with? What have you read? What are your credentials? (laughs) Jesus refuses to get bogged down by these people. Instead, he looks at them. He looks at the other people who are gathered, and Jesus does what he often does, which he begins to move everyone into a much more important point, almost to prove to the Pharisees how out of place their question is. Jesus asks them what sounds to us like a strange question about John the Baptist. And sure enough, it stumps the Pharisees. And then when they can't answer it, Jesus moves in to make his larger point. And so Jesus tells this story about two children. The first is asked by the parent to go into a vineyard and do some work. And evidently this child has other things on his mind. So he tells the parent, no. (laughs) But after a little while, that first child feels bad about what he said. And he goes and he goes to the father and apologizes. He, He repents not only of his rudeness, but also of his laziness. Presumably the parent accepts this repentance and the child goes into the vineyard and does a fine job. But then there's this second child, this second son. He's initially extremely polite and deferential to the father. And he says, sure, of course, I'll go and I'll work in the vineyard. And yet he doesn't follow through. He never shows up. He never does the work. And so the Pharisees are listening to this story, but they're listening out of their own context of tradition and beliefs. The Pharisees had a teaching that almost seemed to place intention above action. They may have explained this by arguing that one first needed a right intention in order to act. And then maybe, with God's grace, the right action would follow. There's some truth to that. But Jesus is pointing to the emptiness of right intention without action. Jesus sharpens the point with the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees that of all the people who will enter heaven, of all the people who will be received into God's closest presence, the first will be those who've been honest with themselves and with God, who've shown true repentance, who followed through with the living out of their faith. And the last to enter, those farthest away from God, will be those who say one thing with their lips and do another with their lives.
in that parable that Jesus tells, that story that he tells, the first child seems a little brash or rude, a little crude even, and the second sounds really polite. It's the second who sounds like a good egg. I think of what C.S. Lewis wrote about being a good egg. He says one can't always be a good egg because an egg has to hatch at some point or it rots from the inside out. (laughs) The polite son is like a good egg that never hatches. It doesn't produce. It lives only for itself. It sits there and eventually begins to rot. If we were to think about this story in our own world, we could probably think about people who who are a little bit like that first child and some people who are a little bit like the second. That first one who initially tells the parent that he's happy to go in the vineyard, I wonder if that's a little bit like the person we may know who, who goes Sunday after Sunday with no intention of coming to church or being a part of organized religion, but then when they're called upon, they're good as gold and they do the right thing and they always are there to help out. We all probably know people like that. We wouldn't list them as among the officially religious or the the members of the church, but they're the go-to people that we would go to in a moment of need. I think Jesus wants to lift up those people, those unofficial members of a parish. We might know some like that second child, the one who seem polite and well-intentioned and they say the right thing, but then we notice they never quite follow through. I had a, a tiny experience of that this week. I was on the Crosstown uh, Select Bus. Those of you who are familiar with the ritual, you know you, you get your little piece of paper out of the kiosk and then you hold on to it for dear life because you might get off the stop and the traffic police are there and they want to see it or otherwise you risk getting a ticket. And so I was on this bus going across town, and it was loud and it was hectic, and so I was kind of zoning out as one does when one travels. And I was trying to ignore the conversations all around me. And, but I noticed sort of out of the side of my eye, out of the side of my consciousness, really, that a young man dropped a little slip of paper as he was moving out of the bus. I noticed it but didn't notice it. At some level, I thought about saying something and yet was kind of distracted and kind of tired and who knows whatever other excuse I make for myself. I didn't say anything. The bus took off and I looked out the window. The traffic police were there stopping the guy talking to him. He probably dropped his slip on the bus. We'd gone on. I probably could have gotten off then and run out and been really heroic. I didn't. I had all the best intentions, but when it came to that moment, I was distracted. I was thinking about other things. I had a a redo experience in CVS yesterday when a man dropped something out of his pocket, and so I told him. I said, excuse me, sir, you dropped something out of his pocket. He looked at me like I was the biggest nuisance he'd encountered all day long. So you win some and you lose some. How often do we mean well, but for whatever reason, we don't follow through. 
Probably 20 times this week I've thought of writing a letter to a politician or making a call. I haven't done it. I hope to this next week. How do we avoid becoming good eggs that could rot over time? Meanwhile, our friends outside these walls often are doing the right thing and speaking up and following through. We have plenty of modern-day Pharisees who would suggest that appearances are everything. They suggest that how we look and how we sound and where we live and what we do for a living, that these things matter. The good news that we all know in our heart of hearts is that the God of Jesus Christ says otherwise. Jesus tells the Pharisees and everyone else that there are a whole lot of people ahead of them on the road to heaven. And chief among them are the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Leading us all will be the poor, the uneducated, the dirty, the foul-mouthed, the alcoholic and addicted, the out-of-shape and unfit, the sick, the lazy, the dying. Given such an unholy procession, some might wonder if heaven is really a place we want to go after all. I can only say that it sure is a place I want to go. It's a place I want to go because it's probably the only place where there's no makeup, there's no costume, there's no pretense. There's no better than or worse than, but a place where each of us truly is received by God, made holy, made perfect, and made even more beautiful. May we be moved each day of faith to be brought a little closer to being our most honest selves. May we learn what it is to speak the truth and live it to follow through, and to say we're sorry when we don't. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.